Well, we left you at a, quite the cliffhanger last Wednesday. Whenever the, the mob is surrounding Paul, he is on the steps of the barracks of the Roman guards there, and the, the, the mob is yelling, rid him from the earth, kill him. They thought they were doing this for God. They thought this is what God wanted. Always make sure before you start judging or making demands of another that it's what God wants and not what you want packaged up as if it's what God wants. But they were devout and they truly believed this is what God wanted was to be uh, have anybody like Paul who was, in their opinion, um, contaminating the faith and leading people astray that, that he should be silenced. And they were quite happy to use the power and sword of the Roman government to silence him. So in chapter 22, verse 22, the crowd listened to Paul until he said this, whenever he said that God had sent him to teach the good news to the Gentiles. They've raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. You know, there's a very strange little couple of phrases in the Sermon on the Mount that we've tried to interpret many ways, but we just don't have the words that they used back then, and we certainly don't have the culture into which they fit, where Jesus said that if you, re you speak to your brother and say, thou fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell, or Gehenna, or Hades. The, um, it's hard for us to, to really wrap our heads around what Jesus was saying because who hasn't said about somebody else that they're stupid or foolish or that that was silly? That's not what he's talking about. It is really this. You are not fit to live. You're not fit to have rights. You're not fit to be among us as an equal. And so it was that form of gross, horrid, judgment against a fellow human being that Jesus was speaking of and that we see illustrated right here. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust in the air, and we've talked about this before, especially if you listen to the sermon of, uh, what would that would have been? That would have been July 17th, the story of Esther, where you, they would shake off their, their clothes or they would pop their clothes as a sign of ridding themselves of, of, of another person of disgust. There were uh, times that you perhaps have seen in old movies where people got their coats and pulled them away from a poor or a homeless person. We don't see that sort of overt pulling of clothes away or popping, or, but that is the way that people have for millennia shown disgust. And so they're tearing off their clothes, they're flying around the air, you know, get his dust off of us, and plus, that allows them to be able to be free to pick up rocks and start throwing them. The commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He demanded, he directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. Now you and I, if we are in uh, Western European or we are in North American countries or many other places, we, we start looking at this going, wait, wait, wait. He hasn't even been charged with anything. He is an older man who's been found be being beaten by a large group of people. Why would the Romans then say, well, we don't know what's going on, so let's flog him. That's with a whip or with a rod, extremely painful, breaks his skin, 
uh, infection sets in very often, people die, they're scarred for life. And let's just beat him until he tells us why those people are angry at him. Again, there, was no, there were no rights. The government was uh, the ones who had the weapons and they had all of the rights and you had none. And this was normal. You, they're not suggesting that Paul has done anything wrong. It was just normal that you grab somebody and beat them until they told you the story. Uh, this is, um, we find this actually in writings about early Christianity where the Romans would, um, and this is from Roman writings, not from Christian writings, where the Romans would send in spies to worship with the Christians for a while. And in one instance, they grabbed two of the maids of the house in where, where people were meeting and drugged them to the station and beat them and tortured them just routinely and said, well, guess there wasn't anything bad going on. And they didn't say my bad or, you know, sorry, no. You, you weren't a person because you weren't a Roman. Well, as they stretched him out to flog him, uh, again, so that you couldn't fight, you couldn't curl up, you couldn't move away, but also stretches the skin for more painful blows. Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? And everything stopped because Roman citizens had rights. Remember last week we talked about two levels. You could buy your citizenship or you could be born a citizen. Being born made you a higher ranking citizen. By the way, very, a very small percentage of the Roman Empire were Roman citizens by birth. Uh, rich people and then prominent families and then of course people that lived in Rome. But the Roman Empire stretched out over a lot of Europe and Northern Africa and into the Middle East and therefore um, most people weren't citizens and the very rich might be able to buy citizenship. The, the centurion heard this. He went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? He said, this man's a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and, and asked, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Paul answered, yes, I am. Then the commander said, I, you know, because he's looking at this older man who doesn't seem to have a wallet or any money and I'm sure his clothes were very travel-worn, sandals worn down. So the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. Paul replied, I was born a citizen. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed and he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman soldier, a Roman citizen, in chains. Oh yes, guess who gets beaten next if Paul tells the people of Caesar, which he can, he can appeal to Caesar. And if he throws it up and reports this, guess who gets beaten next? The commander, the centurion, and the soldiers. So immediately the commander is, is you know, hey, we're all cool here. Everybody's all cool. Commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. So the next day he released him and ordered the chief priest and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. He can do that. It's like, all right, your Supreme Court's coming. And he pulls them all in. Uh, the Roman soldiers go out and just drag them in from wherever they are. Then he brought Paul, had him stand before them. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest 
Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. I mean, if you're going to have a um, competition about who knows the law best, my money's going on Paul. And I'm not even a betting man, but I'll empty my wallet and put it on Paul. Ananias had already befouled his priesthood many times by this stage. He had taken the Roman coin. He had done the Roman betting. He had sold out his own people. This um, Paul has no problem looking at him in the eye, calling him a whitewashed wall. That doesn't sound like a big insult to us, but it was. It's like um, you well-decorated toilet. You look pretty, but you're just a toilet. Well, those standing near Paul said, How dare you insult God's high priest? And Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realize he was a high priest. For it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Now, some inside baseball knowledge. The high priesthood had to be rotated. The um, Romans developed a system of rotating the high priest just to mollify the people. So Pharisees would have the high priest for a while and Sadducees would have the high priest. You get the point. So it wasn't anything Levitical. It wasn't anything according to Deuteronomy and Levitical law. It was a mess and they knew it, but they never talked about it, especially in front of the Romans because it kept the peace and that's what the Romans wanted. So Paul just says, you're not a high priest. You're not qualified. And besides, if you remember Caiaphas, his daddy-in-law had been high priest before. And during the crucifixion of Christ, they kept calling Caiaphas the high priest when it was really Ananias. It was a family that was kind of a mafia type family that was in charge of religion. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I'm a Pharisee descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Oh my goodness. All right, a couple things. One, isn't Paul a Christian? They, there were people calling the followers of the way Christians at this stage. And the Greek word, I am told, and please, 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 please take a note. I have never indicated that I am a Greek scholar because I am not. I go and ask other people. And the word called Christian, that krematizo, I'm told, indicates by some authority, most likely heavenly or divine authority. So whether or not um, Paul, as a follower of Jesus, still considered himself a Pharisee, what, what, what does that mean? When we think of Pharisees, we think of bad people, don't we? Because they don't come off well in the Gospels. But if we were living during that time, we probably would have looked upon the Pharisees as the good guys. They were conservative politically. They were very conservative religiously, but they were not intentionally harsh. They did what they did because they believed God intended for them to live a clean, pure life. Part of their belief was also in a life after death, a resurrection. They believed in miracles. They believed in angels and demons. The Sadducees were the liberals of the day. 
and I'm saying liberals, I'm not saying liberals. It's not a bad word, right? It's a description. And the Sadducees were highly secular. Uh, they looked upon being Jewish not so much as religious, but as more of a race and being bestowed by God. He chose this human line, but they didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe in miracles, didn't believe in angels or demons. It was a very secular faith. So what did Paul do? He saw that the crowd was divided between Pharisees and Sadducees. So he said, I'm a Pharisee. And the reason I'm here and being attacked is because I spoke that I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Well, immediately the Pharisees are thinking, well, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. What happens when, uh, uh, when he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now the mob's fighting themselves. This would be a great uh, TV show, wouldn't it? A lot better than TV shows we get. There, the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection. There are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. I'm going to stop real quick and just say, you can be a Christian and a Jew. You can be a Christian and a Pharisee. You can be a member. We've tried to make this very plain of our safe harbor and still be a member of your local Catholic parish or your Church of England or your Baptist Church or your Church of Christ or your Church of the Nazarene. We don't ask you to leave your traditions. We don't tell you that your traditions are wrong and must be abandoned. This, for many people, has become their life. Think, think of an Italian family. And I know I'm being stereotypical here. I could be, I, let's go Irish, all right? Um, I, I have a bit of, of a right to speak of the Irish. Let's say that you're an Irish family. You've always been Irish Catholics, you know, Boston or Chicago, where there have been uh, big groups of them. And yet you believe that scripture is plainer and more open than Christ is all we need. And so you've been following our safe harbor. Does that mean you can't go to mass? Of course it doesn't mean that because that's where your earthly family is and you're gonna have Thanksgiving with them and you're gonna have Easter with them. We don't ask you to leave that. Paul hadn't left the Pharisees. He, was, he still considered himself a Jew and a Pharisee and a follower of Christ. He did not think that being a, a Jew or a Pharisee was going to save him. He, thought, he believes, as I believe, that Christ is who saves us. But he saves us as people who already have connections, who have families, who have traditions. And he doesn't call us to drop all of that. He doesn't just want us to add Jesus to our life. He wants us to follow Jesus. But these, these traditions of ours flavor life. They give us joy. I'd hate to go through December and not be able to celebrate Christmas because I did that. I did that for 30 years, my first 30 years on earth. I can celebrate Christmas and I cannot celebrate it. And I can, you get the point. Paul never repudiated who he was. He remember he'd just taken a vow and shaved his head and done, you know, a Jewish fair and kind of almost a Nazarene vow at this stage. Well, there was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man. Now, let's, let's just be real honest here. They didn't find anything wrong with him because he was one of their guys. It wasn't as if everything had changed because Paul had convinced them of the deity of Jesus Christ. Paul played them. 
Paul knew how to play the room. He read it and he played it. Uh, and he did it on purpose. They said, what if, a, what if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? You know, how dare you turn away if a spirit or angel has spoken to one of our guys, a Pharisee, good guy, we've always loved him. The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. As you've testified about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. Oh my, the story continues to just snowball down the mountain into an avalanche and more and more things are going to come together. But Paul knew it. Remember the last couple of weeks we've talked about this. He intentionally set his face to make the most prominent and lasting mark for Christ that he possibly could while he was still alive. He had no desire to die sitting in a chair by the fire. He was going to push forward for Jesus in a very dangerous place. And now it was happening. Verse 12 of chapter 23. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. 40 men will not eat or drink until we kill Paul. Does that mean that they're not going to eat or drink, period? Probably not. Um, <coughs> Jewish vows about fasting like this covered daylight hours. And so at night you could drink and you could eat. Very much uh, like the fast of Ramadan that the Muslims do. Their fast is absolute. They can't chew gum. Uh, they can't swallow water. Not until after the sun has set. And so um, that's probably what it is. But who knows? So they've taken an oath to kill Paul. They went to the chief priest and the elders and said, we've taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we've killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petitioned the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. And we're ready to kill him before he gets here. Religious people do not have a good track record historically. If you... Um, if you want to take a look at the lives of the popes, you're going to find more evil than you could possibly imagine. But if you want to take a look at the leaders of the Assemblies of God, Churches of Christ, Baptists, I mean, we are humans and sometimes we attract some really bad people. And even worse, sometimes religions, whether they be a cult or whether they be a, a religion that kind of helps feed their more radical sides will actually develop people who think it's okay for us to kill, rape, murder, destroy, burn for our God. We remember 9-11. We remember these things. These things happened. They happen now. So the Jews had gone and said to the chief priest and, and the, the Supreme Court, we're going to, we're going to trick them. You petition and say, listen, you know, this could all be just a bad misunderstanding. And so if you'll bring Paul, what we'll do is we'll just question him. We'll figure out, all right, where do you stand on this? Why do you stand? Maybe they'll do a Monday morning message series on who told you about. And so we'll trace it all. That's all it is. 
but when he's on the way, we will ambush and we'll kill him. But when the son of Paul's sister, wait a minute, did you even know he had a sister and a nephew? Well, he did. There you go. When she heard of the plot, when the son of Paul's sister heard of the plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Then, now by the way, how did they hear? I don't know, but it wasn't that hard to hear because please remember privacy, they didn't really have it. We don't have it because of the internet and being tracked by our, our phones and the like, but they didn't have it because homes, if you had a nice home, it was basically one room and you were right on top of your neighbors and you ate outside where everybody else was able to see you and it was easy to pick up the word on the street. So Paul calls one of the centurions. Centurions, there are no absolute equivalencies, but think of them like a first sergeant. Uh, they're over about a hundred people. Um, they are the truly the backbone of the Roman Empire, or at least the war machine. Called one of the centurions and said, take this man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. Why would the centurion do what Paul wanted? Because Paul had been shackled and he was a Roman citizen. Therefore, Paul at any moment could pull the trigger and appeal and all these, all these soldiers would be in trouble. So they're going to do what he asked him to do. He's in the barracks now for his own protection. If he'd wanted to leave, he could at this stage. Paul, the prisoner, sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and said, what is it you want to tell me? He said, some Jews have agreed to bring you to to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them because more than 40 of them are waiting an ambush for him. They've taken an oath not to eat or drink until they've killed him. They're ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man with this warning. Don't tell anyone that you've reported this to me. Now you might think, well, why don't you just send extra guys to ambush the ambushers? Because then you'd be, you know, hey, look, these rabble-rousing people were trying to, to, to murder a Roman citizen and by doing so, most likely damage or kill some Roman soldiers. And therefore we won. No, it was more important not to have any break of the peace at all than it was to when, you know, sneak up on those that were sneaking up on, you get the point. So he wants to avoid any of this happening. So he calls two of his centurions and ordered them, get a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. Um, we think it means spearmen. It is a Roman word for a military person. And there is some debate about what that word means, but most likely knowing what we know about the way Roman, um, the Roman armies took a field. The proportion is about right for a spearman. And the spearman, we might even call a pikeman in, in Scotland or in England because they tended not to throw the spear, the spear rather, but to jab and pull back and jab and pull back. Um, but take a look, that's, that's 470 men. 
how much in trouble do you think this commander thinks he's in if Paul decides to appeal? A lot. So he's going to make sure this is not going to happen. 470 heavily armed men to go to Caesarea at 9 tonight. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. And he wrote a letter as follows. Claudius Lysias to His Excellency Governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and they were about to kill him, but I came with my troops and rescued him, for I had learned that he is a Roman citizen. Really? Well, that's a different story. Oh well. I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. Okay, that's true. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against this man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. So if he did that latter, that was done uh, off stage. We didn't get to see that. Speaking of which, Luke tended to write down history that he saw or that he got from interviews, but he didn't fill in gaps, which makes him an incredibly good historian. Um, so, yay, yay Luke. So the soldiers carrying out their orders took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Antipatris. The next day they let the cavalry go on with him while they returned to their barracks. When the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning he was from Cilicia, he said, I'll, I'll hear your case. In other words, you're in my territory, so okay. I'll hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. So he's going to you know, make him feel at home and that it's a Jewish leader's palace. It's not going to be a dungeon. It's not going to be uh, any, any type of prison, but rather he's going to be very closely kept in an area of the palace, a house arrest, if you will. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. Now, the voice of Tertullus. I don't do impressions. That's just letting you know there are, this is, he's the one speaking now. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. All right, anybody else kind of up to here with swarminess already? We're finding corruption and evil among religious leaders. We're finding dishonesty among government officials. And now we're finding lawyers lying and doing unctuous flattery uh, to get in good with those who are in power. Human beings haven't changed at all, have they? Not even a little bit. You'd think we'd learn by now, but you'd be wrong. So this lawyer saying, hey, Romans, you've been wonderful for the Jews, much needed reforms for our nation. You've done us, oh, we just really love you. Um, we have your pictures on the wall. You know, our kids have the posters up. You know. um, we got the phone fingers here somewhere. We have found this man to be a troublemaker. 
stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple so we seized him. Huh. We'll come back to that. By examining himself, him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. Now, what I hear here is I hear the prosecutor laying out his case. It sounds exactly the same. I've been on jury duty and I've also watched other trials and the prosecutor will get up and turn to the jury and say, listen, you're smart people. You're good people. Salt of the earth. Thank you for serving. I know this is a sacrifice. What we're going to do is we're going to lay out all the facts of the case. And when we do, you're going to know this guy's guilty. Terribly guilty. Obviously guilty. Anyway, he's very guilty. And you know that. We know that because we're on your side. We're buddies. We appreciate you. And it's all the same stuff. They usually turn me away from jury duty when they find out um, I'm a minister, ex-shrink. They don't really want that. But I have served. Um, it's a, it was an interesting moment. And, and hey, you get 11 bucks a day. So, sweet coin. Um, you need to know that this passage is very different in some manuscripts. And the exact reading of what Luke wrote here is somewhat in doubt. In some manuscripts, and some of them are very early manuscripts, it includes, we would have judged, you know, he was a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and we would have judged him according to our law. In other words, we have the right to judge people according to our law. That phrase is left out here. Remember the Nazarenes. Um, John the Baptist was a Nazarene. Nazarenes took a vow of purity and cleanliness and um, moral cleanliness. They um, would not cut their hair. They would not eat fine foods. They would not drink any wine. Um, they, they lived rough. They fasted often. Uh, they, they wanted to, um, to show God. They understood the lowliness of man and the purity of God, and therefore they would lower themselves. Now, God never asked you to do that. You know, periodic vows make a lot of sense, as a lot of people do during Lent or the like, to, to spend a week, to spend 40 days, to whatever it is, to, uh, to cleanse yourself, to think about God, to go to a, a retreat center somewhere. That's all very well and good, but God never called us to lower ourselves and deny ourselves through all of life. In fact, that's one of the things that they used against Jesus, wasn't it? That he ate and drank and he went to weddings and parties. They called him a drunkard and a glutton because he did. They, called, they said John the Baptist must be demon-possessed because he didn't do any of that. So don't try to please other people. Just follow Jesus. You know, other people are going to be just like these people because that's what people are. Also, um, that even tried to desecrate the temple, we really have no idea where that came from. They made up that charge out of, just out of the air. One of the earliest manuscripts, actually several of the earliest manuscripts say, but the commander Lysias came and took him from us with much violence, ordering his accusers to come before you. But nowhere is it explained how he would have desecrated a temple, except that myth that he might have brought a Greek, Trophimus, into the temple who wasn't circumcised. And once again, that never happened. Uh, they had no proof for it. There was a rumor that somebody said, and everybody jumped on it, which people do. 
the other Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you've been a judge over the nation. So I'll, in other words, you know these people. So I'll gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they're now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. He'd done that vow, shaving the head. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin, unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. Well, Felix was not stupid. He'd done his homework. The next line here. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, he knew about Jesus and the followers, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I'll decide your case. In other words, he, he was done with him. Everybody go away. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard. Now, by the way, so is Paul in trouble? Not really. This is under guard from the enemies, those 40 men and others. Under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to come and take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. Now, he knew the Jews very well, and he knew about the Christians very well, and his wife was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked to him. If you're thinking, what? then you are a very blessed individual and you live in a very blessed place. In many places in this world, you get nothing without a bribe. You get past nowhere without a bribe. That bakshish, as it's known in some places, is the only oil that, that moves any gears of machinery. It is um, tragic, it is wrong, but it's what happens. Uh, I watch uh, YouTube videos of people who travel the world and. Very often, there's just a roadblock and the soldiers there will keep, you know, looking at your papers and walking around and keep you, until you find a way to pay the entry fee or they'll find a way to get the money. And of course, another downside of this is that sometimes when you offer the money, then they put you in prison for offering them a bribe until you offer them more. And that's the way a lot of the world works. 
So thank God if you live in a place where this is not the case. Uh, so he just keeps bringing Paul back, thinking, Paul, eventually Paul's going to say, hey, listen, we're, we're friends now. Let me just give you a little gift out of appreciation for, for letting me stay here under guard. And when two years had passed, you might go, why did he do this so long? He had other stuff to do. Felix had all kinds of stuff to do. He didn't, he didn't need to get rid of Paul. There might be some money here eventually. Felix, however, two years later, was out of a job. And he was succeeded by Porcius Festus. Porcius. That's not a name you want. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. He knew that Paul had done nothing wrong. But because he wanted to be in good with the Jews when he left, he kept, he kept Paul in prison. But we're not done. A trial's coming up. That's next week. If you have any questions, if you would like to become a member of our church, please send info at, uh, it's an email to info at rsafeharbor.com. Thanks for all of you who have subscribed and who share this with others. We're up just under 3,200 subscribers now. We're really wanting to get to 6,000, so help us out if you can. God bless. See you next week.